New York in the 70s. One time, I was waiting for my boyfriend at the Port Authority bus terminal in New York City. This was during the late 70s, the time when New York was at its dirtiest, grittiest, neediest, and most beautiful in a ravaged former beauty kind of way. Its center, then as now, was the area around the Port Authority, Times Square. Not Times Square the way it is today, all tarted up in neon and spangles, like Singapore, like a hooker from Singapore. No, the Times Square of the 70s, dingy and gray and fluorescent lit, with its huddled homeless yearning to breathe free and its hookers, then more famous than the Rockettes, covered in pancake makeup and fake fur on all the corners. The sirens never stopped screaming and every doorway smelled of piss that Times Square in those days. In the Port Authority next to the Greyhound bus ticket counter was a large bank of payphones. These payphones were magnets for petty criminals. They'd watch you dial and memorize the numbers for some scammy reason I can't remember. They'd pick your pocket or steal your purse while you were on the phone. Milling around them were the homeless who begged for money constantly, like in Rio or Calcutta. They slept in the waiting room in the chairs that had little black and white TVs attached to the armrest where you'd put in a quarter for 15 minutes of TV. The homeless and the thieves far outnumbered the handful of cops working there who would half-heartedly chase them off the way we listlessly swat at flies on a hot day. And this was a hot day, one of WNEW's best days of summer, hot, sunny, clear. It was the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, actually, perfect. And my boyfriend and I were going to take the bus to the beach. We were supposed to meet at the payphones in the Port Authority. Supposed to. Because he was late, as usual. He ran on pot time and was always like an hour late at least and always so surprised that it was, wow, that late when he showed up. He wasn't lying either. He really did lose track of time which is one reason why people smoke pot in the first place. I knew that, but at the same time, in a sadly comical twist, kept forgetting it because I smoked pot too. And so, caught in a cycle fraught with forgetfulness and disappointment, we lived our days. That morning, after waiting an hour for him, I called him from one of the payphones, and his mom said he'd be there in about half an hour. Sighing, I hung up and turned from the phones and made my way through the commuters, pimps, and pickpockets across the waiting room to the bathroom. There were two heavy doors to the ladies' room, and I was opening the second one. A crowd of screaming women came pouring in behind me, carrying me in a wave of skirts and purses and feet and arms through the second door. The wave kept going, and we all tumbled onto the floor with me on the bottom, and everyone was yelling, There's a bomb in the waiting room! There's a bomb in the waiting room! I was on the bottom of this mauling pile of women, and one of them, an old lady, was on top of me sobbing. I survived Auschwitz to die like this. I yelled from the bottom of the pile, Nobody is dying! Get off me! Now! And I pushed an elbow till they got off me. I pulled myself up and went to the door and listened. I couldn't hear anything, so I opened the door and went out to the waiting room. The police had come to life, and there were more of them from the street besides. They were everywhere, 
barricading the waiting room, and there were more of them near the area near the pay phones. I went up to one of them and asked him what had happened. He told me that a homeless guy begging for money at the payphones had grabbed a cop's gun and shot him, and then the cops had shot him dead. So there wasn't any bomb, I asked. He shrugged and pointed to a body on the ground over by a payphone, next to the one I had used to call my boyfriend. I started shaking, and I couldn't stop. I was right there. I could have been shot. And then I thought of my boyfriend. I got upset, very upset with him, with him letting me down. By the time my boyfriend showed up, I wanted to kill him. He said he was sorry he was so late. He guessed he just lost track of time. And I started crying, not for the reasons he thought I was crying, but because I was so tired of the pot and the forgetfulness. I wanted protection, to feel safe. I wanted to be able to depend on him. And I was sad and frustrated because I knew I couldn't ever depend on him. But I let him think I was crying because of the shooting and let him hug me. And then we went to the beach and got high under the boardwalk and I forgot to be mad anymore. Which isn't the same thing as forgiving, but it feels close enough to fool you for a while. I wish this story ended with something good, an epiphany maybe, about how from that day forward I made a change in my life, some kind of turnaround. Or about the city and how after that things got better. But nope, no miracle happened there. We picked up and went on the same as before, the city and me, elbowing our way through the crowd till it swallowed up all our anger and we forgot why we were crying.